The following is a message by Professor Zach Keel from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. All right, if you'd uh, turn in your Bibles to John, since the faculty is going through John's Gospel, and I'm actually preaching through it at the uh, moment, this was a convenient place to uh, turn to and continue to keep our attention on the richness of John's Gospel. I'll be reading just a section of chapter 7, so John 7 Verse 37, and I'll read through verse 41. So just a sliver of this glorious chapter. So John 7, beginning in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, As the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Let us pray. Blessed Father, we just pray your blessing on this time when we have this privilege and this freedom to come and meditate on a portion of your scripture, a beautiful and rich portion of your scripture that truly is a means of grace to us as it quenches our spiritual dehydration with the living waters of grace that flow from Christ, and it flows through your spirit. Indeed, those waters is your spirit as he sustains us along our pilgrim way. So bless this word to us so that we might walk in your grace for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as um, you are, we have been going through the Gospel of John, I hope you've realized that John is a bit tricky as a gospel. For John seems very simple. Indeed, he has somewhat of the reputation of being a gospel for uh, beginners, third-grade-level gospel. But in reality, John is more like one of those glass-bottom boats, where you look down and the water, clear water, looks about five feet deep to the beautiful uh, level below. But then the guide tells you it's a hundred feet deep, and you're like, I can't imagine that. And the way John creates such depth is by his use of symbols, which many he forms by a very sophisticated way of illusion and echoing of the Old Testament. And John does this echoing and illusion with all the skill and style of a master chef. Well, this can be seen throughout John's gospel, but this passage is an excellent example of John's skill and master as a storyteller and teacher of the gospel. 
Now, since the beginning of chapter 7, Jesus has been in Jerusalem for the feast of Sukkot, or booze. And the Jews have been wondering about who Jesus is, and particularly analyzing that from where he is from. The people think he's from Nazareth, so he can't be anything special. But Jesus is trying to point them and say, no, he's truly from heaven or above. And with this declaration, now he proves his heavenly origin. So we're told that it's the last great day of Sukkot, which is the seventh day of this seventh day pilgrim feast, which the Old Testament calls Israel to rejoice before the Lord. They're told to rejoice by the Lord. And this feast is by far the biggest, grandest, and brightest of all of Israel's feast. This was party time. In fact, John's allusion to the seventh day here is kind of like if he said Jesus is in Times Square 30 minutes before the ball drop. The entire context is vividly and immediately present for us as readers. Of course, this is a religious feast, and so it is put together and built upon a myriad of Old Testament texts, which are like a seven-layer cake, which you can keep analyzing and chewing upon. And the Jews knew all these Old Testament texts, like we know Christian or Christmas music. They were at their fingertips. They were in the air. If you turned on the radio, that's what you would hear. But Jesus highlights only one particular part of this great feast, and that's the water libation ceremony. Now, this is not commanded in the Old Testament, but it is based on an Old Testament theme, and it kind of grew through uh, Jewish history. And what was this libation ceremony? Well, it began in the early morning when the high priest went down to the Pool of Siloam in the southern part of Jerusalem with a host of Levites, all with instruments. Then they would blow the shofar, and the priest would fill this golden flagon with water from the pool. Then they would make this glorious procession with lyres and flutes playing up through the streets to the temple. Children would line the streets waving palms. Crowds would dance and sing the Hallel Psalms, Psalm 113 to 118. Once they reached the altar, the praise and volume reached a crescendo with Psalm 118. And then at that moment, the priest would pour out the water next to the altar with all the thousands of eyes watching him with joy. Indeed, the joy of this festival is so great, it makes David dancing before the ark look like a Presbyterian. One... Jewish tradition said, he that had never seen the joy of the water libation has never seen in his life joy. One Greek text likened the celebration to that of a Dionysian cult. But what's all this about? Well, Leviticus 23 tells us that the Feast of Booze or Sukkot is where they lived in tents for the week to remember their time in the wilderness when they lived in tents. Or actually, more uh, precisely, they're remembering the Spirit of God who was a tent over them in the pillar of fire and cloud. But the water libation picked up on one aspect of their life in the wilderness, and that was the water flowing from the rock. 
as Jesus alludes to the Old Testament here, the rivers flowing is a citation of this theme. But as the people saw the water libation, they not only remembered the past for what God did for them, but they also had a future hope that God would act again in a similar way, but a greater way. In one sense, they would pray for rain for their next year crops, but their true petition was for that final salvation. Thus, the water from the rock was a template pointing to that final second exodus redemption, which is made clear in the prophets. However, in this water from the rock motif, there is a shift from the historical books to the prophets. And the shift had to do with source. In Exodus and Leviticus and the Psalms, the source is always the rock. But in the prophets, the source got shifted to the temple. Ezekiel 47 says, Through, out of the threshold of the temple, waters, a river will flow, giving life to all things. Zechariah 14, in the context of the Feast of Booze, he says, living water will flow from Jerusalem. Thus, as the people watched the water libation, they yearned in faith for this to become the river issuing forth from the temple unto new life, purification, and salvation. The water provision was a symbol of a greater salvation, life, and the pouring out of the Spirit. Well, amid this grand celebration, all of a sudden Jesus stands up and he interrupts, kind of like he pulls the cord on the music and you hear the record squeal. Hey, guys, look at me. He cries out and all the eyes turn from the altar to him. He says, look at me. And then he says, if anyone thirst, come to me and drink. He says, if you realize your spiritual dehydration, look at me. Your sinful dehydration can only be quenched by me. It's amazing. But what does this say about Jesus? Well, he helps us by this citation of Old Testament scripture here in verse 38. But this citation is not a quote of a single passage, but it's a compilation of many passages to highlight an Old Testament motif. For example, river flowings highlights the motif. This is the language that's used in Exodus 17, Psalm 78, 105, and Isaiah 48 for the second Exodus. But this living waters... He brings from Zechariah 14. So Jesus brings this motif, but then he does something different. In the historical books and the prophets, the source is always either the rock or the temple. But Jesus says the source is his literally his belly or stomach. It doesn't say heart here, but it says belly or maybe side. And he's talking about himself, not the believer. His refers to Jesus. Thus, Jesus says, from his belly comes rivers of living water. What does this say about Jesus in this context? It says he is the true rock of the wilderness. He's the source of the waters of salvation. 
In chapter 6, Jesus just declared himself to be the true manna. Now, he's the true water from the rock. But it also, through the prophet, says he's the true temple, the temple fount of living waters that will purify and wash your your sin-stained skin clean, pure, and give you new life. The imagery here, he is amazingly vivid. Jesus says from his navel is the spring of living water unto heavenly life. The sight of Christ is the source of our spiritual hydration to quench us from the dryness of sin and death. Of course, verse 39 makes this pretty clear. He says, this hasn't happened because the Spirit hadn't been given, given. Thus, he clearly identifies the water here with the Spirit. And they only flow from Christ after he's glorified, which in John has the paradoxical reference to the cross. Thus, it was only after Jesus was pierced, after his side was impaled, that the Spirit flows to us with these life-giving waters. Thus, are you spiritually dehydrated? There's this far side cartoon. You've probably seen it. There's lots of them. And there's a man out in the desert, barely dressed, crawling along the desert with his hand reaching out, crying out, I need water or I thirst. Well, this is a good picture of us in our spiritual impoverty. We are spiritually impoverished, naked, dehydrated. And Jesus stands up and says, come to me and drink. Come without money. Come without price. And drink freely unto new life. In my waters, wash your sins away. In my waters, your thirst shall be satisfied. Of course, as we comes, becomes clear later in the gospel, the way that we receive this is the Spirit as he works through word and sacrament. Thus, the invitation here is to one unto salvation for those who have not believed, but it's also an invitation that sustains us. It's an invitation to worship, to attend the means of grace, and to receive from Christ again and again those life-giving waters that preserve us unto heaven. Thus, as students, as the semester draws near, I've seen it. I know you're tempted. You skip church or you work. Well, remember, attend the means of grace. Just because you study all week doesn't mean you don't need the Lord's day. And the glorious spiritual benefits that pour forth from Christ's side through the word and sacrament. These are what sustains your heart and your soul through your studies, even through finals, and unto heaven. Indeed, it is not by chance that in John's revelation, he again brings this image up. In heaven, he says, there's a river of life, and on brightest crystal, 
And on either side is the tree of life that brings healing to the nations. And where does this river flow from? It flows from the throne of God and the Lamb. Thus now we drink of Christ through word and sacrament. But this sustains you for that glorious day when you will drink of those ultimate waters, the heavenly waters, unto eternal life. This is how John comforts you. These are the glorious symbols of your Savior that he leaves with you along your pilgrim way. Thus may you rejoice in the glorious depth and profundity of John's gospel as he teaches you about your Savior. Amen. You're dismissed. Copyright 2013, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.